Hi there, and welcome to Just Us for Justice from Consumer Attorneys of California. I'm CAOC Press Secretary J.G. Preston, and ringing in the new year with me is CAOC President Micah Starr-Liberty. Welcome, Micah. Hi, J.G. Just curious, Micah, do you have any New Year's resolutions you want to share, either personal or professional? I have the same New Year's resolution every single year. That's to um, try and uh, stretch more and do yoga and to stay hydrated. Those are my two very low bar (laughs) New Year's resolutions. Well, if you're able to do those things, it's going to be a good year, I guarantee you. (laughs) Exactly. Well, 2020 is an election year, and while the presidential election is certainly important to us, there are races in California that will help determine our legislative success in Sacramento. Every assembly seat is up for election, as well as half the seats in the state Senate. It's interesting to note that there are a number of trial lawyers running to serve in the legislature this year. What are some of the races and candidates that we're most interested in? Well, of course, we're interested in anyone who's running who shares our goals for regular working folks in California, but it is meaningful as an organization and to, to me personally, uh, as someone who's interested in politics, to, to have more attorneys serve in the legislature. Um, we are getting back to the numbers that we saw years ago when we kind of hit the high water mark at 26 or 27 attorneys um, from both houses. Uh, so this year we have uh, five seats with six candidates um, who are trial lawyers running. Yeah, so you know it, it's important that we have people uh, in the legislature who understand how the law works, both be in terms of how it should be crafted, but more importantly to their constituents and to us, how these laws are um, implemented uh, so folks can take advantage of them. Uh, to remedy wrongs or for people to be able to um, be protected by the law. Even though we've had a Democratic supermajority in the legislature in recent years, that supermajority alone isn't enough to guarantee that the interests of our clients are going to be upheld. That's exactly right. Um, You know, people think that we now have a bully pulpit um, from our perspective, but the issue is everybody comes to the legislature with their own personal experiences and work experiences. And if you haven't had an interaction with the law in whatever way, personally, it's hard to really know how real legal consumers are are impacted. Um, You know, lawyers understand that there is a vast difference between the words shall and may (laughs) when uh, reading them in a court case or or in a statute, um, but only lawyers understand how those um, two words, um, you know, can impact someone's rights. Real people don't, uh, you know, understand necessarily. We actually have a CAOC member running for the legislature this year, Ann Kepner in Assembly District 25. Yes, we do. We do. It's very exciting. Um, And we have other trial lawyers um, who are good friends with CAOC who have been fighting for the same things we've been fighting for all over the state. Um, And, you know, it's very important and very meaningful when you have people who um, 
are writing the law to have the background and the breadth of experience to be able to interpret it and know how it's going to play out what once it's in effect, because you can have a wonderful idea for legislation, um, but there are always unintended consequences. And so having a legal perspective um, will help make sure that the language is as clear and effective as possible. And so we'll be hoping that CAOC members will join us in supporting these candidates so we can get a good view of civil justice represented in Sacramento. Oh, it, it's absolutely uh, a priority. And every member of CAOC should take a look at uh, the open seats that impact them uh, as constituents, but also take a look at this list of, of six lawyers who are running and uh, get involved in their campaigns and help support them financially. I mean, we are unable to do uh, what we do every day, which is protect our members and their clients without having the right people in office. I, I would submit to every member of CAOC and anyone listening to this podcast that if you care about workers in California, if you care about consumers, um, get involved and um, contribute. No one can run for office now after Citizens United without having a significant war chest. Um, and our opponents um, and those who don't care about the environment and consumers and workers um, have uh, contributors uh, that always out, outpace us. Well, with the new year, the legislature's back in session, so let's take a look at some of the areas where CAOC is looking to make a difference this year. Uh, there's one area that's been an ongoing topic of discussion, and that's raising the minimum coverage for auto insurance. These minimums haven't been changed since 1974, and they're the lowest of any state in the nation. Can we raise those minimums this year? I think so. Um, I'm very hopeful. This is uh, an idea and a piece of legislation whose time has come um, we are at such a disadvantage when trying to assist clients who are involved in a car accident when the liability limits on the other side are only $15,000. In this day and age, that is a mere emergency room visit and maybe one follow-up treatment. Medical care is so extraordinarily expensive. So you know, 40 years ago, $15,000 was a significant chunk of change that could help um, someone pay off their medical bills, get the treatment that they need, compensate them for the wage loss that they've experienced, as well as the general damages they um, suffered. But today, it's just simply not enough to really correct or remedy what folks have experienced. But this has been a tough hurdle to jump in recent years, and there continues to be opposition to the concept of raising the minimums. Well, if you look at what other states have been able to do, I think initially any time um, liability limits go up, there are uh, folks in the insurance industry who push back because um, they will have to pay out additional dollars in claims. But that's why we pay our premiums every single month is to buy that protection. And it's a bet uh, we don't ever really want to win, right? We don't want to have to make a claim because we're so injured. We need that help. But it's a safety net. And with uh, medical insurance uh, being as expensive as it is, even with the exchange, um, we have to have this, this additional protection for folks who missing three days of work could um, 
result in losing their job. Or maybe they don't have vacation time, because paid vacation, because they're hourly workers. I mean, we have to have a way to um, correct the financial impact of a minor car accident or even a major car accident. I mean, that's what's even worse if you're very seriously injured and the person who caused the harm has the minimum, there is nothing left for you um, to help with wage loss or future care. Um, that $15,000 policy immediately gets eaten up by the ER visits or partial payment for the surgery that you've needed. Um, and I think when people, even the opponents sit down and take a look at um, kind of our societal obligations to help those who need help. I mean, that's what the law is for. It's not help. It's not there to help the rich and the powerful. The law is there to help protect the folks who need a little bit of help and need a little bit of protection. So um, I'd be hard pressed um, to believe that even folks from the insurance industry would say that people who have paid their premiums, um, you know, shouldn't have that protection shouldn't have that coverage. CAOC had a very successful year at the legislature last year, but one bill that's carried over from last year would provide more protection for consumers regarding e-scooters, both those who rent and ride these devices and those who are injured by e-scooter users. Where are we in that effort? Well, that bill was turned into what's called a two-year bill. So we are about to go into the second year of a two-year term. Um, and we will be continuing to fight to get that uh, legislation passed um, and then hopefully signed by the governor. But all you have to do is read the newspaper, if, if people actually read newspapers anymore, I do sometimes, <laughs> or uh, look at the news online. And, and we see story after story after story of people being horrifically injured because of scooters and even bicycles that you can rent on the street um, for short-term use. I mean, these are very dangerous products without enough insurance coverage and without enough regulation. Um, I see them here in, in Oakland where my office is, where there are scooters just strewn about. And when you have someone with special needs, someone who is blind and can't necessarily uh, appreciate that there are five scooters uh, in front of them every direction they turn. People are, you know, people from the disabled uh, community are injuring themselves. Um, these scooters don't have lights. They don't have horns. There's no requirement that people carry their own helmets. Um, and you see people weaving in and out of traffic on um, sidewalks, it's very dangerous and people are getting really significantly hurt. So something has to be done. And the providers of these devices aren't helping matters any by making it difficult for consumers to get compensation when these things happen. They've got all kinds of disclaimers. Right, exactly. So when you use an app or you swipe your credit card into the machine um, in order to uh, finalize that transaction, you're waiving all of your rights waiving your rights against the e-scooter company. Some of them have, you know, a damages uh, limit of $100. Um, and, and there are class action waivers, you're agreeing to arbitration. I mean, it's all of the uh, binding pre-dispute waivers that significantly harm consumers if something goes wrong. <clears throat> and then there's the other piece of, we've seen in some 
um, cities where folks are, are using the e-scooter to vandalize small businesses, throwing them through the windows, um, blocking their doors. I mean, there are other impacts for um, regular folks and small business owners. I've even seen cases where scooters have hit vehicles and caused damage to the vehicle, and the vehicle owner's been at a loss to be compensated for that damage. Exactly. That's exactly right. I mean, you know, these ideas are wonderful in terms of the environmental impact. Um, you know, having folks ride bikes and walk and, and take e-scooters is definitely better than everybody getting in their automobile and driving from point A to point B in terms of the overall environmental impact. But um, this again is an idea of there are under, there are unintended consequences that the law just needs to help these corporations catch up with. And, and I'm sure the corporations want to be responsible and not contributing to additional injuries for their users and consumers and uh, small businesses that are impacted. Well, one of our greatest legislative successes in recent years was last year's Assembly Bill 51, which prevents employees from being forced to resolve employment disputes through arbitration as a condition of employment. Now, business interests have already gone to court to challenge the law, but we felt all along that we're on solid legal ground with this, right? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we understand that at this point in history, there uh, a lot of anti-arbitration legislation could potentially be preempted by the Federal Arbitration Act. So with this uh, idea and those parameters in mind, we crafted or helped craft um, this legislation um, in a way that does not offend the Federal Arbitration Act. And I'm not surprised that litigation was commenced um, because, you know, pro-arbitration big businesses don't want consumers to be able to have their day in court. But because of our Constitution, um, we need to keep uh, pursuing these ideas and keep fighting because arbitration is very um, protective of the repeat users. And there is also this other aspect to having all these private um, you know, administration of justice proceedings, it is going to significantly in, impact our common law. Judges are going to be at a disadvantage if all of the decisions in a certain practice area, employment law, for example, consumer rights, for example, if they're all being decided behind closed doors and there's no reported decisions, what's that going to do to our body of law? It's very scary, frankly. AB 51 addresses just one element of forced arbitration, but this is going to stay on our radar for the foreseeable future. There are other ways in which we can address and try to eliminate the use of forced arbitration. Absolutely, and we will continue to do so. Um, it's a priority of this organization and should be a priority of every attorney, um, anyone who believes in access to justice and um, the protection of how the law develops in the state of California. The other thing is, to be clear, this legislation didn't say you can't have an arbitration um, provision. What it says is if the worker refuses to sign the arbitration agreement, they can't be fired. So this really allows for a knowing and voluntary uh, election to arbitrate. And if that's what workers want to do, then that's what they should be able to do. 
Right. We support a mutual agreement to arbitrate disputes, but it must be mutual. That's right. It's completely unfair to say, especially in this economy, we'd like to offer you this job, but the only way you can accept this job is to waive your constitutional right to a jury trial if you get sexually assaulted at work or if you get fired because of your race or whatever um, the potential cause of action could be in advance of the legal violation even occurring. Well, there's a ballot initiative in circulation now that would modify the cap on non-economic damages in medical malpractice cases that was imposed by MICRA in 1975. Now, this initiative is different in many ways from Proposition 46 that we supported in 2014, but it would raise that cap and take a step toward fixing a long-standing injustice. Is there hope now that MICRA can finally be changed? There is no question that MICRA is an oppressive unfair, discriminatory uh, piece of uh, legislation. It has devastating impacts to those who are malpracticed and uh, has not been changed for way too long. Um, I personally would love to see MICRA be changed or frankly abolished um, really the time has come for this change to happen. There's also other areas that are impacted by um, this particular statute that folks may not know about. So there are medical health providers who try to argue that um, if you walk into their office and you slip and fall and are injured, that's covered by MICRA and your damages are capped. They're also um, important to me and my practice uh, because I represent victims of sexual assault and sexual abuse, uh, many um, medical providers will argue that a sexual assault, a rape on uh, a medical premises is covered by MICRA. So it has just, it has been expanded beyond reason. Um, and it is a um, really, to my mind, uh, fraud that is perpetrated on the jury and it should change because imagine these jurors agree to uh, sit and make findings of fact on a medical malpractice case. They're not told about the limitations and they make a decision. That's right. And they make decisions of what they think is fair and just. And this terrible piece of legislation then says afterwards, after they've done their duty and they've been excused, a judge gets to come in and undo their good works. If we believe in the right to a jury trial, which I think we do, and the Constitution supports us, we should allow the jury to do its job and not correct their math after the fact. And Michael, one of the big themes you talked about in your speech when you were installed as president at November's convention was inclusion, inclusion of people from different backgrounds in the power structure. Now, how do you plan to address that during your presidency? Well, I wake up every morning and, and ask myself that question. So it's not just um, during my presidency or, or this next year. Every day I, I try to figure out how I can impact that dynamic because we are, as a profession and as a society, losing a lot of talent and good ideas and um, sweat equity 
when we exclude people. So with respect specifically to CAOC, one of the things that I'm doing is I'm going to hold an event in May that's focused completely on diversity and inclusion. Um, I, I think we need to start focusing on um, including decision makers and asking thought leaders and decision makers how they can help us improve inclusion and diversities. And it starts with everyone's law firm. It starts with their um, community. Um, but we really need to enroll and enlist everyone in the idea that we as an organization, we as professionals, and we as Californians um, have an obligation to ensure that there are more voices at the table because we always get better ideas when we include folks who don't think the way we think. Well, Micah, anything else on your mind as we roll into 2020? Well, I'll tell you, JG, the thing that is keeping me up at night right now, um, aside from what we need to do here in California, is what we're facing on the federal level. And with respect to lawyers and what we do for a living, um, we really need to be focusing on who is making appointments to the federal judiciary and how those appointments are being made and who is being appointed. I think that everyone, whether you do cases in federal court, which I do, or, or not, we have to get involved on the national level to ensure that we have senators, uh, United States senators, who understand their role to advise and consent and who will stand up for the process and the rule of law. And we have to make sure we're getting appointments, Article 1, Article 3, Article 5 judges who have experience, who, who have tried cases, and who are coming to the job with as balanced and as fair uh, of a perspective as possible. Because the federal judiciary because of the lifetime appointments, um, can really change the legal landscape in a way that's harmful to our clients and harmful to our practices. And so just as I uh, said earlier, when we were talking about the local races in California, everyone should be um, contributing to U.S. Senate races to make sure we've got the right folks in the right seats, not just in the Senate, but also wearing black robes and in the federal judiciary. That's CAOC President Micah Starr-Liberty. Micah, we'll do this again soon. I look forward to it, JG. You've been listening to Just Us for Justice from Consumer Attorneys of California, produced by Chris Weaver, executive producer Eric Bailey. I'm JG Preston. We'll see you again soon. The Just Us for Justice podcast is brought to you by the Consumer Attorneys of California. Be sure to subscribe and give us a rating on iTunes. Music was provided by www.bensound.com. Questions or comments? Email us at justuspodcast at caoc.org.